Kids Podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a kid min leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Imagine with me a potter's wheel. The clay, the mud, the water, the spinning, the formation. My job today and tomorrow is not to preach to you. It's to bring you to the wheel and to allow God to do something in you. This weekend, your toolbox will be filled. You're going to get all the resources, ideas, inspiration, curriculum, whatever it is you're needing, you can go home with a full toolbox. As you minister to kids, it's all about those kids. But this moment, it's all about you. God working in you. There are, there are two billion children in the world ages 14 and under. It's the vision of the Church of God of Prophecy to reconcile the world to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But for this particular institute, and by the way, thank you, Dr. McKinley, for allowing me this privilege. I I speak to a lot of different groups, church leaders, bishops, conferences, conventions, but I don't know that there's a more significant group of people that I have the privilege of speaking to than you, because you're impacting another generation. We must, we must reach this next generation. So the vision of our global church is reconciling the world to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just 12 words. Everybody should be able to articulate that. Regardless of what you do in the church, it's my hope that I could walk through a hall and say, so what is the vision of the church of God of prophecy? And you would say, just 12 words. But for this institute, I'd like for us to modify that just a bit. Still, just 12 words, reconciling every child to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. A vision of the Church of God of Prophecy around the world. Two billion, 14 and under. If you would take those kids and let them join hands they could circle the globe approximately 36 times. The thought of reconciling so many children to Christ can be paralyzing. Like like Andrew, we look at the masses on one hand and then we look at our meager resources, our loaves and fish on the other hand, and we say, what is that among so many. It's interesting, though, that when 
Andrew asked that question, that Jesus ignored the question about the perceived limits. And instead, he just went on to demonstrate his limitless power in feeding the 5,000. So I want to make a request of you this weekend. Remove any limits that you have placed on God. Think beyond what you believe is reasonable or even possible in the context of your ministry. Remove all the limits. As Paul noted in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, God is able, through his mighty power, to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. His power is there to work where? Within us. You and I have been given the privilege of participating in reconciling children to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. You didn't leave the glory of heaven to live among men. Jesus did. You didn't die a brutal death on an old rugged cross. Jesus did. You didn't resurrect on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus did. He did all the work of reconciliation. Then graciously, he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, I did the work, now you get to do it. It's amazing that he has included us in this grand scheme of reconciling children to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. For whatever reason, God has chosen to let me and you touch the miraculous. You have an awesome privilege. Reconciling every child to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, to accomplish that, we have to engage in what I'm calling the four Ps. I'm going to look at two of them today and the other two tomorrow. Remember, you're on the potter's wheel. So would you allow God to mold you and shape you during this time? Do you remember what Jesus said when he started assembling his team of reconcilers? He was walking along the shore of Galilee and saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew. They were throwing a net into the water. And here's what he said to them. Come, follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. When Jesus was choosing the 12 that would later be known as the apostles, he prayed all night and then he went up into a mountain and selected what appeared to be a ragtag bunch of guys. We heard the scripture last night, he chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That's why God chose me. Perhaps he chose you for the same reason. But notice what he did. First, he appointed them to be with him. That he might send them out to preach, to have power over sickness, to cast out devils. 
So before putting a fishing pole in their hand to fish for men, before sending them out to do these great works of ministry, Jesus simply said, I want you to be with me. With me. So the first P is presence, being with him. Jesus calls us, it's important, Jesus calls us into his presence before calling us into his mission. Don't ever get those backwards. If you're not spending time with him, you're not prepared to labor for him. Now, this is important to those of us who minister weekly. You know, every seven days, Sunday's coming. Or if your job is midweek, every seven days, Wednesday's coming. We can get so caught up in the next lesson, the next event, the next program, the next, the next, the next, the next, that we become nothing more than a machine pumping out what's next. All in an effort to do ministry for him. And we can get so busy with the next that we fail to take the time to be with him. And that's what Jesus has called us to as priority number one. I'm often challenged by the message that the church of Ephesus was given in Revelation chapter 2. They were commended for their hard work. They were commended for their endurance. They were committed, commended for standing against evil. They were applauded for not being quitters during hard times. And then the Spirit said this, However, everybody say, however. King James says, I have somewhat against you. Another translation says, I have a complaint against you. This is the Spirit. Can you imagine the Spirit saying that to you? You've done all these great things. You've had all these great kids programs and great kids activities, and you're, you're working so hard, and you're not quitting. Even when you felt like it, you kept going. But... I have somewhat against you. You don't love me like you did at first. He said, look how far you've fallen. I think this is a real danger for those of us who are in full-time ministry or not, and when I say full-time, I don't mean you get paid to do it and that's your livelihood. I mean, you just do it every week. It's so easy to, to busy ourselves doing for God, and he commends us for that, but then there's this however. Now remember, you're on the potter's will. Let him speak to you through this time. He went on to say in Revelation, if you don't get that fixed, I'm going to remove you. I'm going to remove your candle. I'm going to remove your light. I'm going to remove your influence. So today, in this conference, while you came to get all this stuff for the next thing you're doing, maybe you need to pause 
and just find his presence. The church at Ephesus, they were definitely for him. They just weren't with him. Their heart wasn't there. And yet there is such a benefit to being in his presence. The psalmist said in Psalms 31, it's in his presence that we find the secret place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shelter of the Almighty. That's only in his presence. In his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. <laughs> Do you sometimes have a depletion of joy? That can happen in kids' ministries. It's not always the most glamorous job, and then you get people critical of what you do who don't happen to be there doing it with you. You know what I'm talking about. And it's easy for the joy to just drain, and you say, why in the world am I putting up with this? You need to get back to his presence to find that fullness of joy. It really is joy unspeakable, and it really is full of glory when we're in his presence. Acts chapter 2 tells us, or excuse me, Acts chapter 3, that there are seasons of refreshing in his presence. You need that. I need that. I remember a time when uh, just a few years ago. Actually, I was serving as the North America Presbyter at the time. And everywhere I went, it was my responsibility to give out. And very seldom did I have an opportunity just to sit and receive. And I felt something being depleted inside of me. And I just needed to find a place to get back into the presence of God. I came home from the office one day, and usually Kelly's there, but that day, the house was empty. Now, when I was a kid, and I came home and the house was empty, I thought the rapture had taken place. I did that multiple times. Mom was always home, and I would come home and, and from school, and she wouldn't be there, and, and I thought, oh God, I've missed the rapture. Well, Kelly wasn't home. I knew I had missed the rapture, but. <laughs> I love her. Anyway, here's my point. She wasn't home. And I, I didn't have this intention when I walked into the house, but something just sort of hit me at that moment. And I thought, this is my opportunity just to be in his presence. And I, I started walking. We have a big open floor plan. And I started walking and just thinking about God and praising God and ushering myself into his presence. And then I started singing. And I wasn't just singing gloomy, slow songs. I started singing victory. And pretty soon, 
My hands started lifting. I'm in the house all by myself. And here I am walking, praising, rejoicing, having myself a time in the Lord. And, and later I thought, what in the world if neighbors had been looking through my window and seen this strange guy carrying on? But I really didn't care at the moment because I had found my secret place with God. I had found the presence of the Lord and wow, it filled my tank. It filled me. You need those moments. You really do. When's the last time that you really rested in the presence of God? You know when you're there. I'm, I'm talking about more than just a general prayer. More than just singing a song. Some of you had great energy this morning. I'm wondering where in the world, where in the world did you get that energy this early in the morning? Jumping, spinning, turning. My goodness. Oh, that's great. But there is a depth beyond that where you really find the presence of God. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Not just to your resources. Come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his heart, another translation says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Your flow of living water will dry up if you aren't drinking from him. We're all like barrels. Imagine a barrel that has a hole in the bottom of the barrel, the drain line, and you have a hole at the top of the barrel, the fill line. If more is going out than what is coming in, you have a problem. And that happens so often in ministry. More begins to go out than what is coming in. Pretty soon you have an empty barrel. You can have an empty barrel in church. You can have an empty barrel ministering every week in kids' ministries. A man can stand waist deep in the river and still die of thirst. Until you get what's around you, in you. You can die of thirst while splashing in the water. So, don't underestimate the presence. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring us up from here. Later in Scripture, Israel had the testimony that they were brought out of Egypt with his presence and his mighty power. You need the presence. 
Another thing that happens in the presence of God, the psalmist said, the mountains will melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. What are the mountains in your ministry? What are the mountains standing in the way of your children's ministries? We can do everything in the world to try to fix those. The Bible says they melt like wax when we get into his presence. This seems to be Ned's first grade reader to me. We all know what I'm talking about. We all know we need to get in the presence of God. Yet Steve Covey, in his book, what is it, Seven, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he distinguishes between the urgent and the important. And ministry can seem so urgent. And yet we know that these other things are important, like the presence of God, spending time there, getting alone with God, really filling our tank, yet we just don't quite have the time. We have good intentions, but the next thing's coming. And we feel pressure to get ready for it. Don't underestimate the presence of God. So we're on the potter's wheel. The song, the songwriter penned it like this. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what my heart longs for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what my heart longs for. To be overcome. Right where you're seated, would you just make that prayer to God right now? Lord, this weekend I want to find a place to really step into your presence. Lord, with all the resources that I'm getting this weekend to prepare for the next thing, help me not to forget, not to just do something for you, but to be with you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, bring us into your presence. The second P that I want to bring to your attention today. A few months ago, I was preparing for a talk, and uh, I was reflecting on my elementary school teachers. I think I shared this in the Florida gathering. One teacher in particular had an impact on me. By the way, this P is purpose. Are you ministering with purpose. 
One particular teacher had a great impact on me. Her name was Mrs. Johnson. She was different from all the others. Miss Woods was my first grade teacher. What I remember about her class was her spelling test every Friday. Actually, what I remember is what happened after the spelling test. She would put us in a line, first graders, and have each of us to hold out our hand. And then she had a drumstick. And for every word you misspelled, you got a lick. Sometimes I felt like a five-piece drum set. That's the impression, that's my takeaway from first grade. Then there was my second grade teacher, Mrs. Hope. Bless her heart, she was hopeless. You see, in the South, you can say, bless your heart and say most anything. She had taught for many, many years. And two things stand out about, stood out about her. Number one, she was known for using a paddle. Legend had it that she broke many paddles on little boys. Secondly, she insisted on using my proper name, which by the, th at that time was greatly embarrassing to me. What little boy in the second grade wants to have the stuffy sounding name of Timothy? And I didn't like Timmy either. Both of those names are great. Some use both of those. I just preferred Tim, but she would have none of it. That's what I remembered about her. Miss Gillen was my third grade teacher and through the eyes of a young third grader, she was ancient. Maybe she came over on the ark. She, in my estimation, was not a happy lady. It was in her class that I was given my first trip to the principal's office. My fourth grade teacher was just a blur. Hey, I'm talking. All right. This is spiritual formation. Thank you. Third grade. Third grade. God saved me from a life of crime. I don't know how it was when you were in the third grade, but when I was in the third grade, everybody had pencils. Now they've got iPads. We had pencils. And I decided I was going to start a pencil collection. And I was an honest thief. Because... I didn't want to pick them up off their desk, so I would knock their pencils on the floor and pick them up. That way I could say I just got these pencils off the floor. But it wasn't long before nobody else had pencils but me, and I got to be the pencil loner to everybody in the class. Thank you. Just my, thus my journey to the principal's office. And then there was Miss Johnson. 
my fifth grade teacher, she smiled a lot. At Christmas, she invited the entire class to her house for a party. And in my little mind, it seemed like she lived in a mansion. There were big white columns that I remember on her house on the front porch. I was pretty impressed. But what I remember most about her class was the way she taught. The way she gave her students unique opportunities to participate. She allowed every student to be teacher for a day. When it was my day, I had a chance to be in charge for one period of that day. And, and the day you were teaching, you got to go to the teacher's lounge and get a Coke. That was special. It was a pretty big deal to be the teacher the day I taught, I decided I'd give a test. I typed it out on an old manual typewriter. You know where the, the keys will stick at the top? You guys, some of you don't even know what a manual typewriter is. We used stencils, and I ran it off on an old mimeograph machine. I never forgot Miss Johnson. She was ahead of her time as an innovative teacher But more importantly, she did it with purpose. She really loved her students. She knew how to turn each of us on to learning. What a novel idea, kids as teachers. Unlike some of my other teachers, I don't think Miss Johnson was, I don't think what she was doing was just a job to her. She wasn't just drawing a paycheck or trying to survive the work week. She was driven by purpose. What if you weren't just trying to get through the next Sunday or Wednesday or survive another youth camp season? What if you were dealing with purpose and there was a purpose behind all the madness of what you do. What would it look like if every part of your ministry was focused like a laser on reconciling every child to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit? If every part of your ministry, including your attitude, Remember, I said some of them just didn't smile. Kids will remember the simplest things. How you treat them, how you smile, how you care, your innovation, your personal investment in each of them. All that you do. You know, they say that in communication, only 7% of communication is verbal. The other 93% is made up of everything else you do. The same is true in ministry. Only the impact of your ministry, only a small part of it, is what you spend all week preparing. The big part of your impact is how you treat those kids, how you love them, how you invest with them, how you do what you do with purpose. Ministering with purpose. If you read Paul's words to the Corinthians, 
He said, even though I am a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people that I might bring many to Christ, living each day with purpose. He said, when I was a Jew, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the Jewish law. Even though I am not subject to that law, I did this so that I could bring them to Christ. He went on to say, when I was with the Gentiles who did not follow the Jewish law, I too became a part of what they did. But I did not ignore the law of God. I obeyed the law of Christ. He said, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. When I want to, because I want to bring the weak to Christ. He said, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save them. And then he said, I do everything to spread the good news and to share his blessings. That's living with purpose. Purpose. What's your purpose? Can you articulate your purpose? You can tell me what you do. You can rattle that off pretty quickly. Here's what I do. But what is your purpose behind what you do? Let me tell you briefly the bios of, of two different men. One man, his last name is Lozano, he, he has made it his life mission to visit every Starbucks around the world. He coined the phrase Starbucking. So when somebody asks him what he's doing, well, I'm Starbucking. There are currently more than 30,000 Starbucks around the world. He's already visited more than half of them. 12,000 in the U.S. and Canada and more than 3,000 3, located in 55 different countries. To this point, he has spent $150,000 of his own money on this quest. And he says, as long as they keep building Starbucks, I'll never be finished. Compare that to man number two. He had an illustrious basketball career. He was awarded MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and was a scoring champion, a 10-time All-Star, and a member of the original Olympic Dream Team. But his greatest accomplishments were off the court. The newspaper reported of this man, you cannot imagine how this city, San Antonio, and its citizens adore the retiring Spurs Center. This was a few years ago. One of the coaches said, Revere is not too strong a word to describe the way they feel about him. He is a committed Christian and his testimony is sterling. The article noted his project with a particular Christian academy, a school for inner city kids, and he's donated more than $9 million to that effort. His coach said upon his retirement that he doubted that he would see much of David Robinson hanging around the locker room or seeking a job at the front office. He said he's got more sense than to stay involved in basketball. He's got interests that actually have impact on the world. 
He said, I wouldn't demean him by approaching him with an offer to work for the Spurs. So, two men, two stories. The man who is starbucking around the world said, listen to this. Every time I reach a Starbucks, I feel like I've accomplished something when actually I've accomplished nothing. The other man is impacting the world. We're all busy. The question is, busy doing what? I don't know who to credit with this quote, but it's on the screens. Our greatest fear shouldn't be the fear of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. The good news, let me, let me say that again. Our greatest fear shouldn't be the fear of failure, and that's where we camp out sometimes. Rather, our greatest fear should be succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. The good news for all of us is that we're still writing our stories. The pen today is in your hand. The defining statement of your life is still being framed. Can you imagine if the greatest thing said at your funeral would be the equivalent of you visited 15,000 Starbucks? Busy accomplishing nothing. Rather, let it be said of you as it was said of David in Acts 13 that when he had served God's purpose in his own generation, then he fell asleep. What is God's purpose for you? You're on the potter's wheel. This is spiritual formation. What's his purpose for you? Not what position are you holding. Not what your title is over your door. What's his purpose for you? So reconciling every child to Christ through the power of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit. First, it requires presence. Do you remember Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus while Martha busied herself? She was doing the next, 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 next. And Jesus said to Martha, you're worried and upset over all the details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Presence is your one thing. The presence of the Lord. And then purpose. In, in the notes app on my phone, I have my purpose. I've articulated my purpose. Not my job description. I, I do a lot of different things. In the role that I'm serving in now, I oversee our international offices. I chair boards. I provide inspirational leadership for the global church. And I travel the world as an ambassador of Christ and of this church. All of these activities are important. But standing alone, none of them define my purpose. They only help to support it. A few years ago, I did the hard work of sitting down and really articulating 
why God has me on this earth. What is my purpose? And there could be, I could broaden this. I've got a purpose as a husband. I've got a purpose as a father, as have eight grandchildren. As a grandfather, those are important purposes. But when it comes to my life, work publicly. Here's my purpose. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, I will be intentional in living out the great commandment of loving God and loving others and will seek to discern the promptings of the Holy Spirit to intentionally share my faith in Jesus Christ with the intent of leading others into a personal relationship with Him. That's my purpose. If I don't do that, if I busy myself with everything else and it doesn't support that, then I've just visited 15,000 Starbucks. Simply put, my purpose is to reconcile this world to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to conclude today just processing these two thoughts. Presence and purpose. Some of you can, can find a place in a crowded room to be alone with God. Others of you will struggle with that. But I invite you sometime this weekend to still away. All of these workshops are important, but I don't think that the director of this retreat would be offended if you needed to slip away for an hour and just find your place and let God fill you. That what you're, the water you're standing in, that it would get in you. Find, find a place for presence and get so focused on your purpose that you can write it down, that you can articulate it. Not just what you do. Everything you do should support your purpose. But what is your purpose? Why does God have you here in this season. Sometimes you think, man, I wish I could have lived in another day, another time. Things would have been a lot easier. God has you here in this day for a reason. He didn't bring you around 80 years ago. He brought you here now. We're responsible for now. What is your purpose? I'm going to ask you if you would to just find a place if you can, join me in kneeling before the Lord for just a few minutes. And focus on these two things, purpose and presence. If you want to walk, if you want to sit, if you need to go to another room and just be alone with God, remember you're on the potter's wheel. Let him make you, let him shape you during this time today. God bless you.
listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children. 